Ramble. I did not say that. You at said all. that you want to suck my toes. I did not. Why did you say that? that? I didn't say that. You all. <laughs> That's my toe that you're sucking. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I guess just welcome to our very professional setup. Welcome to our very professional podcast where we talk about all things in a professional manner. This is the Rotten Mango, and I think that we are on, on episode five. If I'm not mistaken, which I'm honestly surprised that I haven't missed a week. So <laughs> kudos to Stephanie Sue for doing the absolute bare fucking minimum. Welcome. Okay, sir. Excuse me. Welcome to today's amazing podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by my wiggly ass toes. We have no ads on this video. Um, I'm mm. really excited because I kind of have a reason why. I mean, this podcast is going to get dark. This is going to be one of my darker podcasts, which sounds crazy because we've already today's talked story? about yeah, the Toy Box Killer. Mm. We've done the case of Junko. We've done all of these different cases, but... Let me just kind of put a picture into your mind. Wherever you are, whether you're driving right now or laying in your bed or washing your face, envision your favorite stuffed animal. Is it one of those big ass teddy bears from Costco? What's your favorite stuffed animal? And imagine being 14 years old and looking at that stuffed animal and then knowing that there is a decapitated head just rotting inside of that stuffed animal that there were three men who opened up your favorite stuffed animal then placed inside of it a decapitated severed decomposing head of a female that they had murdered after torturing her for a month how would that make you feel it's just sitting in your room across from you staring at you watching you listening to you that's exactly what happened to a 14 year old in hong kong now for lots of legal purposes her name has been hidden by the court system in hong kong and we're just gonna call her annie okay um they called her afong in all of the court a h dash f-o-n-g afong afong i think afong is like a like a nickname for a girl okay so the court system gave her this as a pseudonym and that's pretty Mm. much all that she went by so legally her name has not been disclosed because of her age and because of how the rest of this trial went down let's get into one of the most gruesome cases that has been so highly requested and it happened in a city which actually surprisingly has an incredibly low crime rate that is the city of hong kong um really yeah hong kong compared to new york and la is insane i believe per capita the murder rate in hong kong per 100,000 people is about 1.5 or something yeah so one and a half people die (laughs) per 100,000 people yeah and new york is around i think three per 100,000 people Mm -hmm. and los angeles comes in hot at around six something per Mm. 100,000 people and then I always thought about it I was like you know that's crazy because a lot of the times my family is like oh well I'm just kind of glad that you're not in New York LA sounds safer come to find out there's a lot more murders in LA per capita but also in the great wonderful peachy state that I grew up in Atlanta Georgia's rate is 17 point something per 100,000 people 17 17 Atlanta yeah man I knew there's something wrong what (laughs) what with me (laughs) he's like you were born and raised in atlanta no wonder you tend to have little murderous (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) this all starts with a 14 year old i mean the one thing that you're gonna notice about this case oh by the way this is the hello kitty murder such a cute name yeah and i think that's also why it became so famous internationally because you have a decapitated head and then you also have hello kitty which is something that's internationally well known and associated with just cuddly cuteness but then you're also like oh why there's a severed head inside of it i mean i find i find hello kitty to be creepy already really why because the cat doesn't have a mouth oh my gosh so how the hell does she eat you have a very weird logical brain. 
It's freaking creepy. It's just a cute doll, honey. So this all starts with a 14-year-old in May 1999 in Hong Kong. This 14-year-old by the name of Annie, she walks into the Hong Kong police station and it's almost anticlimactic for such an insane case. And she says, hello, police, I'd like to file a statement. And so the police are kind of looking at her thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be some sort of report of domestic abuse between her parents. Now, to their shock, her statement was completely different from that. She walked in and she deadass said okay so listen police officers i've got some shit i need to tell you and they're like okay little lady what's going on and she's like so for the past several weeks i am being haunted by a ghost i feel like she won't leave me alone and i need you guys to help me i don't know what to do they're like what what are you talking about and she's like okay so it's this woman and she's a ghost obviously um and she's like kind of bound by this electrical wire so she has all of these electrical wires all over her body And the way that she died was that she was tortured to death. And now she's a ghost, obviously, because she's dead. And she's haunting me. I don't know what to do. The police are sitting there and they're like writing this statement up and they drop their pen in between because they're like, we're not writing this fucking statement. This is not a statement. I mean, Mm -hmm. where are your parents, little girl? Like, you need to stop watching TV. You need to stop reading creepy books at night. You need to stop watching Stephanie Sue's mukbangs late at night. What are you doing, miss? And so they all thought it was gibberish until she was like no i swear you need to come to my apartment she's haunting me she's haunting me the police were like okay listen let's just go to her apartment because maybe she's being abused maybe she's being drugged up by her parents maybe there's just heavy signs of neglect or something because mm-hmm. and so they were like okay let's let's go to her, the, her apartment they pack all their stuff they go into the apartment and they're looking around and they honestly completely believe that this was complete gibberish mm-hmm. until they kind of got a little bit curious. In the Kowloon district, it's kind of like a rundown area in the city. And inside of her tiny little apartment, they were just kind of wondering, well, we don't see the woman. And why would this woman be haunting you anyway? Like they were trying to kind of bring some logical sense into the little girl. They were like, mm-hmm. you have to have a reason. She said, no, um, she's haunting me because I actually helped murder her. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. What did you just say? She's like, well... I kind of tortured her a little bit before she died. Who's the woman? Yeah, I'm going to get into it. And and she's like, well, I kind of helped torture her when she was alive. I was the one that found her dead. And they're like, what? She's like, yeah, a couple months ago. um, I thought it was for fun, really. But then she ended up dying and now she's haunting me. They're looking around this room and they're trying to understand truly, is this girl on drugs or is this a real story? Was this 14-year-old an accomplice to torture and murder? That's freaking nuts. And they Mm -hmm. look around and they see this Hello Kitty doll. And it's a giant Hello Kitty doll. It's almost like the size of the 14-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. And this Hello Kitty doll is kind of intriguing because it's not a regular Hello Kitty shape. It's actually a Hello Kitty mermaid. Hello Kitty mermaid. So it's the Hello Kitty face, but with Mm -hmm. mermaid tail, Uh. right? And so they're like, okay, that's a little bit weird. And the 14-year-old girl keeps looking at the Hello Kitty doll. And so they're like, obviously, something weird is happening inside of this doll. And so the police didn't really think that once they opened up that doll that they were going to find anything. But sure enough, they were like, little girl, don't worry. We're just going to open it up. So they open up that shit. And as they're busting it open, out comes the head of a woman just decapitated missing her lower jaw just kind of missing her lower jaw yeah and the crazy thing is like the head did not plop out of the hello kitty doll like i would imagine because it was sewed into the head of the hello kitty they took the time to sew the head in no freaking way how do you do that i mean i mean i I don't really have that much experience with it but (laughs) i assume you do it with like a sewing needle the rest of the body parts were not found inside of that hello kitty doll and i'm gonna get into all of the why right but Uh before we get into the why we need to know who who was this woman who was the severed head who did this head belong to and why was this why was she murdered and why was she inside of this 14 year old girl's room inside of a hello kitty doll like none of this is making sense the police are hoping i mean i think everyone at this point all fingers crossed are trying to hope that this 14 year old just was walking down the street saw a cute little um store with hello kitty 
little things in it. She walked in, saw this Hello Kitty mermaid, was like, I gotta have it. She purchased it, brought it back home. And then suddenly some weird shit started happening in her life. And she was like, wait a second. This is the only reason. Mm -hmm. It started with that Hello Kitty doll. Look at its eyes. Its eyes are so emotionless. It's got to be the Hello Kitty doll. She tells her parents. Her parents are like, listen, you're losing your marbles. I don't believe you. And so she felt the need. She felt the need to make up this massive story about how she helped murder a woman just so the police will look into the haunting of the Hello Kitty doll. And coincidentally, for some reason, there was a head inside the Hello Kitty doll. I mean, I think that at that point, that is what every single person was wishing for on the face of this planet. Because how can you even wrap your head around the fact that a 14-year-old participated in the active murder and the active torturing of another human being? And so sewing it into a freaking doll. Yeah, so he's really caught up on this sewing aspect. I mean, he's very confused by it. He keeps bringing it back up. And I don't know if it's because I, my entire brain is just riddled with true crime or if I'm a serial killer in the making. I'm not entirely sure. That's a joke, by the way. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that they sewed the head into the Hello Kitty doll so that it wouldn't bobble. Bobble is not the right word because it sounds like bobblehead. Um, let me rephrase that. <laughs> He's laughing because of how ridiculous I am right now. Um, bobble <laughs> is not the right word because when you pick up a doll and you hear, okay, like a rattle, then you uh-huh. might feel this compulsive need to open it up and see what's rattling because there shouldn't be anything rattling inside of a Hello Kitty doll. Yeah. And so I think that's why they sewed the head in there, right? And there was no other body parts found inside of that Hello Kitty doll. So they thought, you know what? This 14-year-old came to the police station, told us the story, turned out to be true. So why don't we just ask her? Why don't we just ask her if she knows who's inside this doll? Mm-hmm. So they sit her down and they say, hey, little girl, Annie, do you know who's th- who that woman is? Do you know who that head belongs to? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, yes and no. I'm not really close with her. My boyfriend was close with her. I mean, the story just gets weirder. So this 14-year-old now has a boyfriend who is also now involved in this murder, right? Uh My boyfriend was a lot closer to her. And she works at the local nightclub as a hostess. And she's 23 years old. And her name is Fan Man Yi. Now, I think that they speak primarily Cantonese in Hong Kong. And I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. So I'm going to call her fun for the rest of this video. Okay. Uh I mean, there's just so much to dissect in that statement itself. Like, why was she? What what is going on? Why is she dating someone who knows this waitress at a nightclub? I mean, y'all are 14. Before we get into all of that, because I will get into all of that. Let's get into Fan Manyi's childhood. And normally I like to go into the victim's childhood because it really just gives a lot of perspective on who this person is. And I feel like it also takes away from the aspect where people could be like, well, you know what? That could never happen to me because A, B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. And if I just started this story with fun when she was working at the nightclub, there were a lot of people on the internet that don't have as much sympathy for fun. Hmm. So I think it all starts with her childhood. We should all have a little sympathy. So let's start with Fan's childhood. So Fan Manyi was 23 when she was murdered. And when she was younger, she was kind of abandoned by her family as a child. They just placed her inside of a girl's orphanage. Like they were just like, okay, goodbye. They left her there and the girl's orphanage took her in. And that kind of sounds like a sweet story, but it's really not because this orphanage was just overrun by people. It was kind of corrupt. There was a lot of girls there. There was really no sense of family, community, teamwork, like nothing like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so with this type of environment, When she was a teenager, she started developing massive drug addictions. Mm -hmm. And when I say massive, I don't mean she smoked weed on the weekends with her friends. She like drank on the weekends with her friends. She was doing crystal meth. I don't even know how crystal meth is done. I wanted to say snorted, but then I was like, is it shot? I don't know. She had developed this crazy addiction to crystal meth. And we were talking about this a couple days ago about how a lot of Asian countries are actually so much stricter with drugs. So even in the U.S. saying someone does crystal meth is like, oh my goodness, right? But in Asia, someone doing weed is the same reaction to Americans doing meth. It's like, oh my goodness, like methamphetamine, really? It's worse in certain countries. Yeah. You found weed, that's that's a death sentence right there. Yeah, I think there are several Asian countries that have... (laughs) deadly punishments for weed 
And so she has this massive crystal meth addiction. And I don't really know the market price for crystal meth, but I can only imagine even like a bag of Skittles is kind of expensive for a teenager. And so she Mm -hmm. was like, I need a way to fund this addiction. And it sounds crazy when you say it like that. But the reason is that her life was pretty miserable. I mean, Mm -hmm. she didn't have a family. She had all of this emotional trauma from understanding what happened to her. I mean, once you're a teenager and you realize, whoa, my parents did not want me. Like, they just left me here. They didn't give a fuck. They never reached out. They -hmm. don't care about my well-being. I mean, there's a lot of trauma associated with it. And she just felt like crystal meth was her only form of happiness. Mm. As a teenager with very little educational background, like no way to get a job, she decided that she would turn to prostitution to pay for this habit. It gets like worse. It gets progressively sadder. And so at this point, she's like 20 years old, right? She had spent most of her teenage years just in this vicious cycle of prostitution and drug abuse and just repeat and repeat and repeat. And then finally, when she was around 20 years old, she met someone. And a lot of people kind of felt like, ooh, this could be the turning point for her life. You know, everybody always has like that one moment where they're just kind of waking out of this funk, where they're just waking up from this crazy lifestyle that they were living. And maybe this was her moment, right? Mm -hmm. She found happiness in this person. They ended up getting married and they ended up getting pregnant. So she gives birth to a little baby son. And what's crazy is once she found out that she was pregnant, she was like, whoa, I can't do this. I can't do meth anymore. Like, I can't do drugs anymore. I got to turn my life around. If I don't want my son to have the same life that I had growing up, I can't repeat this cycle. And so she completely stopped doing meth, according to all of her friends that were near and dear to her. She stopped doing any sort of drugs. She really was just trying to get her life back. But the problem was her husband was a raging addict. Wow. So, I mean, it didn't seem like her husband had the same intentions. It didn't seem like he also wanted to get clean for his son. He also wanted to change things around. And so he was just doing meth around the kid, with the kid. Like, well, not with the kid, but like watching the kid doing meth, you know. Yeah. And this was hard for her because that's her kid. But also, she's an addict. I mean, he's doing the one thing that she desperately wants to do but can't do. And I'm sure he's enabling her. What's even more alarming is that not only was he doing all of that, right? There was also nonstop calls from their neighbors saying that, hey, I hear signs of domestic abuse. I hear a woman getting beat right now. I hear a woman screaming for her life right now. I mean, this is crazy. There's already so many reports from the Hong Kong police that they had gotten so many calls for domestic violence. Wow. She decides, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I mean, I can't have this husband who is doing meth all the time in front of my kid. I can't get beat every day. I got to change my life. And so she took her little baby boy and she left. She divorced her husband. And this is going to prove to be really, really difficult. And so at the age of 23 years old, she ends up securing a waitressing job at a nightclub, which I'm sure it's so hard to find work. But like the nightclub is going to be the worst environment to be in, right? And I'm sure she knows that too. She's battling this addiction. She's battling heartbreak, which if you guys don't know anything about addicts or recovering addicts, mm-hmm. is that when you have anything that is very personal and dear to you, like if you are a recovering addict and you've been sober for a while, but then maybe a loved one passes away or something, a catastrophe happens. It's right. the first thing you want to do is go back to your old ways because that's the only time that you remember getting a glimpse of instant happiness. Her heartbreak, her battling her addiction, she's now a single mom of a one-year-old boy and she's still partaking in prostitution i mean this is kind of like this tornado of life had just struck her really hard and i don't want to say this because i feel like sometimes it can be used as an excuse but i do feel like fun was just dealt some really shitty cards I don't think any of these were necessarily i mean they were but i don't really see them as her choices yeah because of the cards she was dealt yeah it's like for someone to be in that kind of environment growing up it's easy for anybody to say oh why can't you just get your life together but i'm sure it's not that easy like people imagine here right yeah and i also think maybe in a place like hong kong it's a lot more difficult oh yeah she gets this hostessing job and she's gonna meet someone at this job his name is chan man lock 
and he is not the man. He is not Chan the fucking man. We're just going to call him Chan for the rest of today's video. And he's a 34-year-old drug dealer. And I wouldn't even say that this is a match made in hell. I kind of would compare her relationship with her former husband as like a match made in hell. They're both, mm -hmm. you know, addicts. They do this. They're enabling each other. And it's just kind of stirring this fire, right? But Chan is kind of just Lucifer himself that just walked into this nightclub. Mm -hmm. And they felt like they had a lot in common because she was a part-time prostitute. Chan was a pimp. What? She was a drug abuser and Chan was a drug dealer. They quickly made a very interesting friendship. And it was going to be a friendship that was going to prove to be really bad because Chan was enabling her to do drugs again because that would make him a lot of money. <laughs> he sells crystal meth. You see this woman who's like, oh, listen, I'm a recovering addict. I'm trying to get my life together. He's like, what do you mean? It's just one dose, honey. Like he was just hella persuading her, right? And so they are just going to be always seen together. And to give you an idea of how creepy this man lock person is, um, Chan, right? He lives in this beautiful five-bedroom apartment. He lives in the shopping district of Hong Kong. But what's inside of that apartment is so fucking alarming. If I had a five-bedroom apartment in Hong Kong, what would you guys fill it with? You'd probably fill it with some, I don't know, some decoratives, some DIYs, some Target vases, some fake peony flowers, whatever the, the case may be, right? Mm -hmm. But this 34-year-old man who definitely has enough money, mm -hmm. he decides to fill it with the teenager's dream. He's 34, by the way. But his entire apartment Hello was Kitty? covered with Hello Kitty. Oh, my God. Is this where... Th this is Hello Kitty. Holy his cow. His sheets, his curtains, his towels, his silverware. He had a large collection of Hello Kitty and friends, Hello Kitty and company. Um, just giant-sized dolls, small-sized dolls, big-sized dolls. I mean, just... Wait, what does that mean? He just has an obsession with Hello Kitty? See, that's what I thought, but that's not the case. It's because he was a pimp to a lot of underage girls. So he will have a lot of 13-year-olds over. He oh will. Oh my God, that's so freaking crazy. Yeah, so at first I was like, okay, this is kind of almost comical at this mean, bad drug dealer, but he's like obsessed with Hello Kitty. I thought right. it was going to be like one of those like, oh, like that's kind of weird. But no, it's actually so dark. He did that because he has a lot of underage girls that he pimps out. So he has no interest in the Hello Kitty himself. Yeah, not really. Wow. Yeah, and so he did this to entice girls because when you're 13, I mean, I went through a Hello Kitty phase and it was really intense. I remember there was a McDonald's McDonald's toy like in their happy meal they had these hello kitty watches and yeah. i would go to mcdonald's every single day with my mom and she would make me promise that i wouldn't eat the happy meal because she didn't want me eating mcdonald's yeah. but she would get me the toy yeah 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 and so i mean i could only imagine how intriguing that would be for a lot of girls that age he had filled it with that but he also filled it with things that he liked which primarily were video games and pornography and he would, a lot of the times, would kind of cycle out young girls living with him. Like, he would have 14-year-olds living with him. He would have 13-year-olds living with him. So, this guy is a drug dealer, a pimp, and a fucking pedophile. Yeah. And the 14-year-old girl who walked into the police station was his girlfriend at the time. Oh, He's wow. 34. She's 14. Holy moly. Yeah, and so that friendship starts developing and it's going to be a friendship that proves to be really detrimental because, I mean, he is just sweeping. He's sweeping Fan back into this world filled with drugs, filled with prostitution. Just she's spending more time being a prostitute than she is being a hostess at the nightclub now. She's spending a lot more money on drugs again. And I mean, it's just it's these taking people, over her life. Yeah, these these pimps just i think they're the grossest human beings yeah just taking advantage of people you know at their mm -hmm. weakest state and just making money off it it's so gross and so they meet and they start developing this crazy friendship and then something really bad happens it's something about a wallet Fawn wakes up one day and she realizes, okay, I spent all of my money on all of this. Okay, I spent all my money on crystal meth. I spent all of my money on A, B, C, and D. I've got to pay rent before we get kicked out of here. I've got to buy my kid A, B, C, and D. I need to put food on the table. And she was just really desperate. 
Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And I think it was kind of in a drug-dosed state that she decided while she was hanging out with Chan mm-hmm. and their two other friends. Okay, so these two friends, I'm not going to call them by any names. I'm just going to call them henchman number one and henchman number two because that's what they were. They were just henchmen. And they What's were all part henchmen? of a triad. Henchmen is just like people who do your gangster work in a gangster group. So they're oh. like the ones that will do all of the heavy lifting. Like they're the ones that will go and bring someone to you. You know, in the, all those movies, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. like the boss just sits around and then suddenly these two dudes like dragging somebody by their arms. Uh-huh. And they're like, no, I'm sorry. Like these were those dudes. They work for Chan? Yeah. Oh. And so henchman number one and henchman number two. And I don't think I've mentioned this, but it wasn't mentioned a lot in the cases that I was reading about this. Like all of the, I was trying to read all of these like translated articles <laughs> But they were part of the triad. Triad is kind of like the equivalent of the Yakuza in Japan or like the mafia in Italy. Mm-hmm. They were part of the triad. Would I say that they're very smart, intellectual human beings who were part of the upper elite of the triad? No, but they were just like the drug dealers at the bottom of the ranks, right? And so he has these two henchmen and they would always hang out. And so one day it's Chan, henchman number one, henchman number two, and Fan hanging out. And Fawn decides that she's going to steal his wallet. Uh-oh. She needed the money. Drugs really change your brain chemistry, especially when you're on them. But a lot of these like hardcore drugs, they'll change your brain chemistry for the rest of your life. Yeah. And she just, I guess she wasn't thinking straight. And so she felt like that was the only option that she could have. And so she steals his wallet. Inside of it was about 4,000 US dollars in cash. Wow. At that point, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, yeah. Back in the days? Yeah. Even more? Yeah. And she almost immediately realizes, mm-hmm. what the fuck did I do? She like has this moment of like, I messed up beyond belief. Like this is <laughs> this is the last thing I want to do. This mm-hmm. is the worst thing I could do. What was I thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's like, I'm not going to go blow this money. I'm not going to spend this money. You know what? Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Obviously, I cannot face Chan because he's going to be mad. He's not going to be the type that's like, you made a mistake. I forgive you. We're friends, remember? He's going to be the type that's like, I want to chop off your hands. And so she was like, I need to do something. I need to do something quick. And so she doesn't show up for her job. She just ends up going to do a lot of sex work and uh-huh. she stacks up a bunch of money because this is how scared she was just to give you guys direct numbers of her fear she wanted to return the four thousand dollars but she felt like as a drug dealer the only way that he would accept it and not try to hurt her was mm-hmm. if she paid interest for that four thousand dollars that's true and the interest that she wanted to pay him was ten thousand dollars she stole four thousand dollars she would return the four thousand dollars and throw an extra 10k on top thus returning fourteen thousand dollars in total so she was able to save up ten thousand dollars she finally showed up at his doorstep tail tucked between her legs and said hey listen i made a really bad mistake like i know we're friends i know you're mad but I, I, I wanted to get you good interest. I didn't even just double it. Like I did the best that I could. I've been working like day and night since the minute that I took your wallet because I knew I messed up. Like, I'm so freaking sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Wow. And he looks at the money. Now, mind you, I, I mean, I don't know how to emphasize this enough. He lost 4000 gained 14000 I mean, Warren Buffett is fucking shaking right now, okay? <laughs> but he looks at her. And he Uh goes, well, here's the thing. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough for betraying our friendship. Do you? How about this? How about you bring me another 16,000 and I'll forgive you. And I want it by this time. And so he had set a timeline, right? And I don't know how extensive that timeline was, but there was definitely a timeline, right? Okay. And she was like, okay, um, let me try my best. And so she leaves She still has all of her bills to pay. She still has all of these things she's got to do. And she starts doing more sex work. Now, at this point, there there just was no way. She could not come up with the $16,000. Yeah. And so Chan got really mad. He told henchman number one and henchman number two, hey, if Fawn does not bring me the money by the end of today, I want you to go to her workplace and I want you to kidnap her. And I said, okay, what's the plan, boss? And he said, well, here's the plan. 
I mean, she's a prostitute and I'm a pimp, so I'm going to pimp her out and make my money back for 16K. Even though he already had already made his money back, plus way more, he was like, I'm going to make my 16K back by pimping her out. Duh, that's my job. So that was going to be $4,000 and $26,000 in interest. What kind of fucking, I mean, (laughs) they kidnap her. And they bring her to the five-bedroom apartment in the shopping district of Hong Kong. And she's like, okay, like, I'm so freaking sorry. I couldn't come up with the money. Like, just give me an extra week. Like, just give me an extra week. I'll have the money. I'll have the money. And they said, no, no, no. We don't need you to talk all this talk, girl. Like, we're just going to send you out into the streets. And we're going to pimp you out to our clients. And we're going to make the 16K. And then you can go free, right? And she was like, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of... I mean, it's not the same, but I guess it's kind of the same. But like, what about my son? And so she had all of these concerns. And they were like, well, let's think about it later after we take a hit of meth. What? Okay. And so they all get high on meth. And this is when the plan changes. Once they started doing that meth, they had a complete change of plans. I mean, I really don't know what meth does to you, but apparently it makes you fucking psychotic because these three men decided, hey, now that we're high, Suddenly, it seems so funny. You know what seems funny? Beating the shit out of her. That seems kind of funny. And they're all like sitting there like, (laughs) that does seem kind of fun. They're like, let's just do it, whatever. Like, you only live once. Fucking high out of their minds on meth, they end up taking turns beating her. I mean, she was really, really badly beat. She wasn't tortured. She wasn't near death, but she was badly beat. And Mm -hmm. so then they realized, holy shit, we can't force her into prostitution right now because she's so beat up. Like nobody's going to want to pay to have sex with a woman, which is like bruises all over her body. I mean, this is just not good for business. They're like, well, if we can't make her a prostitute for our money back, let's just keep her here. And let's just torture her. Like, oh, I just don't no. even understand how the mindset works. I mean, there's so many similarities to the Junko case because Junko, the, you were dealing with these young boys who said they were part of the Yakuza. With this case, you're dealing with full grown men that say that they're part of a triad, right? And so at this point, for the next one month, for the next 30 oh days, I mean, they're going to rape her. They're going to burn her skin. And the way that they burn her skin was very, very strange to me. Because in the case of Junko, a lot of it was like gasoline or lighter fuel and then just kind of setting her on fire, which I think is the worst way, right? And I thought that was just a little bit strange. But this is even stranger. What they would do is they would buy a bunch of plastic straws, like the ones that you get when you order a fucking boba tea, like -hmm. those big, thick plastic straws. And they would melt it with a lighter, Oh, man. And they would put it, let the plastic melt onto her skin. Oh. Drip onto her skin. And then once she was blistered, they would peel the plastic off. They would go into their kitchen, grab chili oil, and rub it into her wounds. What the fuck is this? And then sometimes if they were like, that's not enough, they would also pour that chili oil into her eyes. Why are people getting off on stuff like this? I don't know. Is there like, what, what, I mean, what is this? There must be enjoying the satisfaction that they're getting out of this. This is crazy. And then they would break all of her fingers. Oh, They would tie her wrists together with electrical wire. Remember that? When she walked into the police station? And they would hang her from the ceiling. Very similar to Junko. And then they would continue to beat her with whatever they had in the house. So what was interesting is they really kind of beat her with household objects. Which is really just... Why would you go through all of that? So they would even flip over a table. Unscrew the table legs. I mean... Who has the energy for that on a normal day, right? Unscrew the table legs, suspend her from the ceiling, and then beat her with a table leg. And then would have put it back onto the table and then flip the table back over. See, this is, yeah, this is similar to the Junko case. Yeah. They're doing all of that. And they would even do really, really humiliating things. And this is where the 14-year-old girl comes in. She was often at that apartment building because she was dating 34-year-old Chan as a 14 year old but what's worse than that and this is where she is a victim in my eyes 
is that, well, first of all, she's 14 and this 34 year old is dating her that she's already a victim in my eyes. Right. But on top of that, he was somehow mentally manipulating her and grooming her. And she was also one of his prostitutes and she would partake in the beatings. She testified in court and she said, you know, one time I walked in and Chan was just kicking her in the head like full force like a soccer ball like Mm -hmm. 50 times in a row and i went over and i started smacking her head with my hand too and the police asked her like why did you do that and her answer is so fucking chilling she stared at the police and she said i had a feeling it was for fun it's like this little 14 year old girl is not doing anything because she wants to do it she's just doing it because this 34 year old man had mentally manipulated her so much into just doing whatever he was doing or doing whatever he told her to do and then she would find a reason for why she did it yeah yeah she's i mean she's heavily influenced by him yeah this is where it gets really bad they would urinate into her mouth see that's that's just like why that's they're trying to get a reaction all three of them and if she were to even spill a drop they would beat her up And then they would ask the 14-year-old girl to poo inside of a box. No. And she would do it. And then they would feed it to Fan. Oh. They made her drink motor oil. They would beat her senseless. And then after they beat her, they would go and they would play video games. I mean, I'm just, I don't even know what to say. I feel, why do I feel like this is, not the only victim then if they do these crazy out of the like i feel like they've got to yeah i don't know i mean it's just gonna get darker from here so they did this for the next 30 days one month of just pure torture there is less about this case than junko's case online Um, that I could translate. I have a feeling that the torture is a lot worse and a lot more extensive than I just mentioned, even though this is already so freaking bad as it is. And then one day, they came home from the nightclub. They came home from like going to all these arcades. And the the 14-year-old girl was fast asleep. The 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 14-year-old is home with them? Yeah. Okay. And she wakes up, the 14-year-old, Annie, she wakes up. And she goes over to Fan and realizes that she's cold. Oh, shit. And she's not moving. So she calls all the guys. She's like, what's going on? What's going on? Like, Chan, Chan, like, I don't know what's happening. I mean, I'm 14. Like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I would never think that a 14-year-old could register that in her head, right? And so she's like, guys, like, do we need to take her to a hospital? Like, what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. And so Chan and the henchmen look at the 14-year-old girl, and they're like, oh, don't worry about it, sweetie. Like, this is totally fine. Do you want to know what happened? And I think this was around the time that the little girl was starting to get a lot of remorse and guilt because Mm -hmm. I think prior to this she was just so groomed and so heavily manipulated that she didn't realize what the fuck was going on until she saw that there was a dead human body in front of her and so she's like kind of freaking out and chan is telling her don't worry about it sweetie she's dead but it's not because of you and it's not because of me i actually saw her giving herself a crazy dose of methamphetamine and so obviously she overdosed Hmm. and so all of these men are like obviously and they're all buying each other's story i don't know why i mean it's just creepy to me okay yeah they're like well what should we do and all of the reports are saying that they were fucking nonchalant about all of this yeah so she's dead um what now what do we what do you think we should do well i'm kind of hungry should we eat before we think about what to do they just kind of left her body laying there while they were just casually going about their day and thinking about i'll think about it when i think about it right and then they got a very big scare underneath their apartment complex on one floor beneath beneath theirs there was an influx of police like there was just police all over the building right and they had come to investigate a rape charge now this rape that happened inside the building was completely unrelated to the rape and torture and murder of fun but they just got really spooked they were like let's Mm -hmm. and we don't want to get our apartment searched and then find this body like that's not going to be a good look so we got to do something about this and so at this point they decide to i don't even know the word 
is it decompose? Is it dispose? I mean, I guess it would be dispose in this situation. They decide to dispose of the body. Now what's crazy is that this is actually going to help them later in trial. Help who? The three dudes. And I'm so mad about it. Okay. No one really knows why Fawn died. No one really knows how. No one knows if it was from the torture. No one knows if she succumbed to her injuries. It's all speculation at this point. No one knows if she did Mm, overdose. No one knows any of this because immediately after the police had invaded the second or the other floor apartment, right? Mm -hmm. They started getting really creeped out. And so Chan looks at the two henchmen and he says, okay, henchman number one, henchman number two, I needed you to go grab that saw. That's all that we have. I need you to take her body into the bathtub and dismember her. I don't really do a lot of stories where the criminal will dismember their victim because there's not a lot of people who will dismember their victim. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of strength. Breaking a bone is easy, but breaking down all of the bones in your body it is not easy. Yeah. Is it, is it also mentally crazy? Yeah. It took the three full-grown men 10 hours to dismember her with a saw wow. inside of the bathtub. They have a new issue. They say, listen, inside of this apartment, even if we dismember her, the, de- the decomposing flesh is just going to smell. Even right. if somehow we can sneak her out of the apartment in little small plastic bags or something, yeah. someone's going to find out we did some shit because it's going to start to smell. Yeah. Even in a garbage can, it's going to start to smell. It's going to be weird. So we need to do something about that. And so they're sitting around thinking, okay, well, what do we do? And they're sitting in their kitchen and they look at each other and they go, oh, shit. Duh. So all of the parts of her body were small enough to fit into large stock pots. Stock pot? To make oh my God, soup no. stock. And so they said, why don't we boil all of her parts so that it'll stop the decomposition of her body and then we can trash her remains. Oh my goodness. They cooked her up. Yeah. That would be a very, yeah. And so they started cooking individual pieces of her body and they would do this for days. Like this was not a one time I'm just cooking dinner type of mess, right? Like this was a long, long endeavor. They start cooking individual pieces of the body, any muscle tissue, anything that they couldn't necessarily cook away, they decided to put into plastic bags and stick that into the fridge. Now, these are not cannibals. They had no intention of eating her. Not that that would be any better. That would be a lot worse, actually, right? But it's just very strange like their thought process on all of this they saved a bunch of in her internal organs they saved her heart her liver her her lungs her um intestines they saved all of that into plastic bags right and they <laughs> this is the crazy thing some people speculate on reddit that they did this because they're members of the triad and they were thinking oh my god we're so smart like let's go sell these on the black market like we do our drugs right it just didn't end up happening because I mean, when someone's dead, you really can't just like sell a heart for a heart transplant like that. No, there's no way. But it's speculated that they did that for those reasons because it was just very weird, you know. And so they also saved one of her teeth. Yeah. They (sighs) saved one of her teeth in the fridge. And then I think some of the henchmen, one of the henchmen took some teeth home as a trophy. Yeah, as a trophy. It's just gets crazier right and then slowly as they're cooking different parts of fun they would put her into trash bags with the rest of their household garbage and then just dump it in a dumpster they did this for days and they didn't really leave that apartment for days because they wanted to keep an eye out and they were paranoid and they didn't want to get any deliveries of food because they didn't want people around the apartment yeah So a lot of the reports say that they would cook noodles right next to her boiling body in a different pan. And they would use the same spoon to stir the noodles and then stir up her body parts and then stir the noodles again. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't even do that with like two different curries. Yeah, I know. Like if someone can just like saw away. Yeah. 
a human body, I wouldn't be surprised. They would eat all three meals of the day just sitting in the kitchen as they were boiling her body parts. They were pretty much just left with her head. I mean, they had a bunch of muscle tissue. They had a bunch of other parts that could not be broken down any further inside the their fridge. They had all of the internal organs. They had a couple teeth. But other than that, everything else they had ended up trashing. Except her head. They decided to try to remove as much flesh as possible from her head. Because... The head is not something that you can get rid of like that. Other body parts, I mean, I did a whole case a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago on a cannibal, right? And for someone who really doesn't understand stuff like this, that would be me. I've never seen human meat. I've never Googled it. I've never like tried to look up pictures on the, you know, on the internet. I don't really know how it necessarily compares to other livestock, I guess I, w- I could say. Yeah. I mean, I barely know the difference between like lamb and beef sometimes when I see it, right? Yeah. But the head is not something that you can dispose of like that. You can't put a skull into a trash bag. You can't put hair attached to something into a trash bag. Like you just can't. And so their entire incentive was, well, we can't throw her head away. We just have to keep it hidden. I just thought of something. If you live in America, you just got to wait till Halloween. Oh my gosh. You know, I was just thinking about 4th of July. What about it? Oh, the fireworks. Everyone's drunk. Fireworks. Sounds sounds like, yeah. Yeah. They said, well, we've got to keep the head. So we have to boil her head as much as we can so that she won't decompose. Because we don't want the smell to be a nuisance in our lives. We -hmm. don't want the smell to bother us. And so they start boiling her head. And I don't know if it was from the torture that she was missing her lower jaw or if it was from the process of trying to get away a lot of the skin and flesh that was on her head. Yeah. But when she was found inside the Hello Kitty doll, she was missing her lower jaw bones. Because I think, okay, this is so uncomfortable to even discuss the details of this, but I believe the lower part, you know, it comes apart Uh. so they can somewhat get rid of it versus the whole skull is just a big piece i don't know they boil her head cook some more noodles use the same spoon and they sew her head inside of that hello kitty mermaid doll chan demanded that annie take that doll home so the 14 year old girl took it to her little apartment and that's when all of the haunting began so what was the hunting all about? That's very interesting. Some people think it was actual paranormal stuff. What? Yeah, we'll get into it. A whole building gets demolished because of this, right? Some people think it was actual paranormal stuff. Some people believe, hey, like even people who don't believe in ghosts, and I am one of those people. I don't necessarily believe in ghosts like that, right? Yeah. But I do think when someone is taken like yeah. that, yeah. there's definitely some weird energies. There's definitely something going yeah. on. If we anything, call it, yeah. Chinese call it like yuan just like when you are killed in a very, very gruesome, very angry state, There's yeah. the energy is going to linger. Yeah. So people don't know if it's actual paranormal stuff that was haunting this 14-year-old girl. If it was the energy, some people think it was guilt, Mm-hmm. right yeah um and then another people think it's a different group think it's something else so there's a large group of people that think that children can see ghosts when adults can't okay because children don't have limiting beliefs adults like you and i will be like that's no that's not a ghost <laughs> obviously maybe i'm drunk <laughs> maybe my contacts are moving around in my eyeballs like we'll come up with some crazy reasons why that's not a ghost right. whereas children don't really do that so some people think if she wasn't a child even if she was the same amount of guilty that she felt and the shame that she felt when she mm-hmm. was 19 maybe she wouldn't have seen these ghosts mm-hmm. so it's kind of up for debate i mean let me know what you guys think right and so that's when all of the haunting began for annie she just felt like I'm going to get haunted for the rest of my life unless I confess to the police. Something inside of her said that was the only way. It was not even disposing of the Hello Kitty doll. It was not even telling her parents. She said to the police, I knew I was going to get haunted forever until I confessed everything to the police. Wow. So the hunt, being haunted is something very much real to her. Yeah. 
Okay. Very real. Wow. Yeah. So this wasn't her like making up some weird excuse. This wasn't her trying to be like, I'm turning my boyfriend in, but like, I don't want him to know it was me. You know, like she genuinely was very afraid because she was being haunted. Okay. She was constantly seeing Fawn in her nightmares. She was constantly seeing Fawn everywhere she walked in Hong Kong. And she really felt like this was the only way. Okay. And so now we're kind of flash forwarding to back to where the police were. They find this Hello Kitty doll. They open it up and they see the head and they're like, what the fork is going on? And I saw pictures of the outside of the Hello Kitty doll and uh -huh. it's incredibly traumatizing. Really? <sighs> it's just, it throws you off. And I don't know if it's the fact that a Hello Kitty face has a mermaid tail. Should I look it up? Yeah. Or should just, I look Hello Kitty mutter? Yeah, you'll see the picture. It's really intense. Oh my goodness. That is so freaking creepy. Yeah. Oh my God. It's definitely one of those things that I think will give me nightmares for sure. Oh. And let's talk about the trial. So at this point, we're all caught up. I mean, that, that's it. They arrested. The they dude? arrested. It's a pretty. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's a very, very crazy crime. Very, very anticlimactic catching. Like a very anticlimactic investigation, right? Mm -hmm. So based off of this 14-year-old's testimony, they offered her immunity and protection. And a lot of people were kind of on the fence about this decision, but it really came down to age. They thought if she was 20, they wouldn't have offered the same amount of leniency. They wouldn't have offered the same amount of immunity that she received but she received yeah. full immunity for her testimony right but again she was a victim she was 14 yeah. and i don't think her hitting her on the head a couple times you know and being yeah. forced to partake in this torture when she was already herself unknowingly being tortured yeah. And so she was offered immunity. They arrested Chan Man Lok, who was 34, henchman number one by the name of Xing Cho, who was 27, and henchman number two by the name of Wei Lun, who was 23 years old at the time. Wow, wow. And this was December of 2000. Now, this is where you're going to get even more mad and even more upset. These three men... Every single day in court, every single day, they completely denied that this was murder because they were getting tried for first degree murder. They said, but it's not murder. It's not murder. And they said, listen, we accept we accept some charges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe we kidnapped her. Right. Yeah, maybe we prevented a lawful burial, which is a really, really big crime in Hong Kong. Uh -huh. I think they actually take it a lot more seriously than they do in the U.S., right? Lawful burial? Which means that you are taking away a family or someone's right to be buried lawfully. Oh, got You're it. You're like messing with a body, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially. And so they're like, yeah, maybe we did all of that, but we didn't murder her. Of course we didn't murder her. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. And so their entire defense, their entire legal defense was that she was an addict and she overdosed. And they were so scared about the overdosing because they're drug dealers that they had to do this to the body. Mm. And because the body had been completely dismembered and boiled and trashed, they really couldn't determine the cause of death. Wow. And also, this is the even crazier thing. The jury believed that the death was not intentional. They believed that she died. They believed she wouldn't have died if she wasn't with these people. But they didn't think that these people wanted her to die, which I think is worse. Because if someone's fucking keeping me around to torture me and doesn't want me to die, I think that's worse than someone just trying to murder me straight up. Yeah. Like, I. that's true. How does that? Okay. So the intent was not to kill her. So you could keep her around to torture her that's, longer. That's true. If somebody chained you up for 30 years, that's worse. And then you end up dying because you were chained up for 30 years. They're like, but the intention was not to kill. Like, that's right, so exactly. much worse. Like, what are you talking about? Right? right. But the jury was like, well, technically in the eyes of the law. And I'm not saying anything bad about the jury, because if you look at all of the reactions from people from Hong Kong, Hong Kong court system, the judicial system. I mean, everybody was fucking pissed. They said this is the most senseless, disgusting, animalistic crime that they've ever seen, right? And right. so Hong Kong was shook, right? But technically, there's a lot of legal loopholes. And the jury just had to decide if these three men was intentionally trying to kill her that day. And they couldn't say yes. 
What? And it's even crazier because there was more evidence. They had a full psychiatric report run on all three men. And all of the reports said that these men are completely remorseless. They don't feel any ounce of guilt or shame. They don't feel bad at all. They don't feel like fun is going to haunt them. They don't feel like this is something that they will regret for the rest of their lives. They don't even feel any of that. They don't even feel sad. They don't even feel sad that someone's dead. But because there was no body, because they disposed of it, but regardless, but because there was no body, they were convicted of manslaughter, not murder. And in December of 20, 2000, they were sentenced to life in prison, but, but with the possibility of parole in 20 years, which means wow. this year, 2020, they have the possibility of parole. Has that happened yet? No, I don't think they're going to get it. So I'm pretty confident they're not. I mean, considering how famous this case is, considering how much outrage this case had, I don't think this is going to be another Junko case where they just kind of get off scot-free, right, with a little slap on their wrist. I do think that at least Chan will be spending the rest of his life in prison. But then again, if they don't do that shit, I'll be really upset. <laughs> exactly. You just, you just never know. Once all of the trial was over, you have this little boy who is about my age, I believe now, oh yeah, my God. who doesn't have a mom. I mean, I don't know what's worse, to not know or to know something so dark happened to your mom. I don't know. I would say not knowing. Is worse? Okay. No, no, no. no. Is better. Is better, yeah. I think so too. For something like this? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Because I feel like if it was um, less gruesome and yeah. less painful... I would say, oh no, I would want closure, right? But yeah, for this something so, like this, yeah. So much to overcome. It was a lot for Hong Kong to overcome too. Mm -hmm. And it got a little bit crazy because after all of the trial, after all of this spectacle, after all of these things were over and people were kind of over it, they started focusing on the paranormal aspect. A lot of people just could not get over it. Was fun haunting this 14-year-old girl? They had to know. And so they would keep going to the building where Fawn was murdered, the apartment building, and they would try to communicate with Fawn. They would record things. They would have radio hosts. They would do all of these things trying to talk to Fawn. And they just wanted like her last words, right? And I think every country is different. I think every country lies differently in their superstitions or their paranormal beliefs. Sure. Sure. So I don't necessarily know where Hong Kong lies, but I do know I don't think anyone was trying to do this out of with bad intentions. So they actually would. Yeah. Curious. So I don't think it was like one of those like instances where they're like, I'm going to call Ghostbusters and we're going to vlog it. You know, it wasn't like one of those situations, which I think is really forked up. Like, I think all of those videos on YouTube of being like staying at the most haunted place ever. I think those are completely fine. I think they're really cool. But I think when it's like trying to use a Ouija board to talk to Eliza Lamb, like that's when I'm like, really? Who does that? Lots. Of, well, not lots, but some. Yeah. Like victims of tragedies yeah yeah <laughs> and i'm just like you do realize like they've got family and that's just so disrespect yeah and so i think for this situation though it wasn't like that from yeah. what i could tell from all the translations and all the articles that i read mm -hmm. it didn't seem like it was just a bunch of stupid people trying to be like <laughs> i'm gonna catch this on camera and i'm gonna get followers you know it was just i really want to know but eventually she was murdered in 1999, but eventually, after nobody wanted to rent that unit, nobody wanted to rent any units in that apartment complex, the entire complex was demolished in 2012. An investor had purchased the land, demolished it, and then he rebuilt a hotel in 2016. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And there was two movies based in Hong Kong that were based off of this entire case. And the, the names of these movies are a little bit um, strange. Okay. So I don't know if these are the direct translations, right? But from what I could tell from like IMBD and stuff, the two movie names are Human Pork Chop and There's a Secret in My Soup. So. Wow. Yeah. It's turned into an urban legend all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah. It almost feels like an urban legend, yeah. so, like some parts of this story. That is very, very eerie. Yeah. And there you have it. That was 
one of the most highly requested cases. Probably the second most requested case. Well, I feel like Toy Box Killer and Junko. Yeah. Oh, and John Wayne Gacy. I'm going to do him soon. You know, this this freaking Hello Kitty murder was... Yeah, this is not what I was expecting. I was... I guess going into it, I was expecting kind of something that had not as much to it. Yeah. I thought maybe it would have something to do. Like, I thought Hello Kitty and the murder would be very loosely connected. I thought it'd be like, maybe the person who was murdered or the murderer loves Hello Kitty. And like their username was like Hello Kitty 227, right? Right. But that's not the case at all. Holy moly. This is dark stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to feel. How do you guys feel about this? It's just such a strange case. This is by far one of Hong Kong's most famous cases because of just the sheer senselessness of it. Mm-hmm. It's just like so nonsensical. I mean, what was the motive? They still don't know. Like, what was the reason? You could have let her go at any point. And what's even crazier is that they know, we know, unfortunately, if they had let her go, Fun probably wouldn't have gone to the police. She was so terrified of them already. Yeah. And I'm not saying that as like, we damn know, like, haha, but like, no, unfortunately, like, just listening to everything that's going on, I don't think Fawn would have gone to the police. And that's crazy that they just didn't let her go. Like, after beating her the first time, you realize she can't, you know, make you money. Why don't you just let her go? Why don't you just be like, you're going to go home, but you stole me 16K. Not that that's any better. I'm not saying that's a good option, okay? None of these are good options, but these are way better than murder. Let me let me know what you guys think about this case. Was this what you guys were expecting? This is kind of an urban legend in the sense that I feel like every single person when they were young always had a fear of like one or two big dolls in their life. Yeah. So that our phone is still around, Annie. Yeah. And is still around. Wow. And I don't think anyone really knows who she is. I don't know. I couldn't really find much about her. I mean, but I too wouldn't want to come forward later when I'm an adult and be like, oh yeah, that was me. I mean, so it makes sense. I mean, I hope she is not in that cycle. I hope she's not being abused. Yeah. But let me know what you guys think. And I'll see you guys next wednesday with i i want to say i'm gonna either do john wayne gacy i think i'm going to the killer clown i'll see you guys next wednesday